I'm a god. Well, what if there is no tomorrow? I'm a god. There wasn't one today. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of It's Time to Rewind, a podcast stuck in its own time loop right along with the movies we discuss. And this season, we're taking a look at Groundhog Day, after day, after day, after day, after day. I'm your host, Bubbly, from Flights, Tights, and Movie Nights, and in this episode, we're discussing Phil's 21st Groundhog Day that starts at 58 minutes and 36 seconds, with Phil angrily doing his Groundhog Day brown broadcast, and ends at 59 minutes and 20 seconds with Phil. It's going to be cold, it's going to be gray, and it's going to last you for the rest of your life. <laughs> Once again, I'm joined by my guest, Heather, from the MILFcast. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. It's not cold, but it is gray, and it's a, it's a little depressing outside, and it does feel like it's going to last the rest of my life at this point. Yeah, so I, I have noticed a lot of rain these past few months it feels like people don't i'm i'm, I'm from uh detroit area in michigan and people don't assume that we have hot summers because we're in the midwest but it's usually high 80s low 90s and humid all july and august and so far all we have had is rain it's been crazy it's like monsoon season here not normal at all yeah i i don't know how normal these uh, Atlanta summers are, but it's it's been you know pretty pretty wet, pretty muggy, pretty hot, but surprisingly not as like we haven't been hit with any of the uh, major heat waves that have uh, hit like the West Coast or anything That's like that. Fantastic for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, about you. I care about you too. <laughs> But I'm talking to Bubba right now, and I'm glad he's having a, a jolly good time. Yeah, and you know, today we we're we're back to seeing Angry Phil, which we we actually haven't seen a ton of Angry Phil. This is like angry, but also depressed Phil here in this broadcast. Yeah, I I feel like this one in particular is where we're we're starting to watch him actually come apart at the seams, and it does make me wonder too how much time has actually passed between where the, the depressive state started. It's not, it's not a long period of time in the movie, but it feels like it is, which is an attestment to the way that it's, it's set up. But also, also Bill Murray again, being absolutely amazing, but he's definitely coming apart at the seams here. And, and it's palpable. <laughs> it almost, it's almost uncomfortable. Yeah, I've noticed uh, this time especially that Rita, uh, her standing next to Larry, it's almost like she's clutching on to him. Well, if we feel the rage and we feel the desperation and we feel that, I can only imagine how she does. And and I'll I'll admit to I'm not a big fan of Andy McDowell. Never have been. Still not. Don't don't dislike her, but she's not someone I'm going to go sign up and see a movie for ever. I I liked her in I think Multiplicity, and that's about all I can say. However, she is wonderful in this, and little 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 moments like that where 
she doesn't necessarily have a lot to do, but she makes a lot out of what she does have to do is just amazing. Yeah. And you you feel you feel that discomfort, like what the the bloody heck is going on here? Yeah, like we don't see a lot of her, and she doesn't really get a lot of lines or. Um, I've I've already forgotten. I I don't know if she. I don't think she has any lines. She just like has like a head shake. Um, yeah, it's just just a, a moment of reaction. But just the like the way that she's gripping onto Larry and like using Larry as protection and just she has this confused confused look and just like a you know a head shake there's like a little bit of a narrowing of her eyes but she actually does I, I think she does do a pretty good job without having to do very much and especially given how animated Phil is here Yes, and and that's that's a lot of what her character does throughout the entire film. It is reacting to Phil. And while we're watching the loop from his perspective, it's still her playing herself so differently in so many different of these loops and timelines. And she really, really does a fantastic job. And and she's likable in in all of it too. Which again, I'm not I'm not a big fan, but I I find her to be no matter what happens, no matter how Phil behaves, her responses are usually they're usually f- full of kindness. This one is is fear, but she's still not she's still not acting like he's he's a villain, which is how I think most people do or would because she still sees him as a, a person, even though he's at this point. Very, not so much of, of, of Phil left at this point. <laughs> yeah, there's still a little bit of softness uh, in, in her, I, I think you could call it. Like, she's she's got a little bit of scare, like, she's a little scared, she's a little angry, but there's also that little bit of concern. And and I think you could, you could argue that, that she is playing just a little bit of concern for Phil like what is going on with him for him to act this way after you know he was a bit of a jerk the day you know for her the day before and I I think she also does a good job of you know going back to to square one in each of these days and reacting to Bill Murray as if none of the other stuff had happened before where Bill Murray is the one that carries the movie that carries the emotional arc of the movie as it progresses. But Andy McDowell's character, Rita is really a static character, but she changes based on where Phil is in each day. Which actually makes me feel like in some ways too, that we get a, a little little look into what it might be like to be an actor anyway we get to they they play things and do different reactions uh you know for for scenes and that kind of thing they tried they tried different stuff so we we always see the end product of what one thing looks like whereas who knows how many takes it took to get that how many different versions of it happened before that so this actually has to happen in in film and tv all the time anyway but we actually get to to see it 
because it is well it's, it's the, the the time loop it's it's groundhog day she gets the reset but it's 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 i think that's part of of the fun of it too but she's she's kind of the i feel like she's the heart of the story anyway she's she's the she's she's the goodness in Phil that he doesn't know is there yet until the end yeah it's like she is the type of person that Phil didn't even realize that he wished he was. Yes, exactly that. And and that's I think that's the best part of of the whole the whole journey. I mean, it's it's basically one big existential crisis. <laughs> I mean, that's that's really what it ultimately is. And I I I mean, Spoiler, if you're watching this I'm, or listening to this, I'm, I'm assuming that you've seen the film before and we're not ruining anything for you either. But the, the evolution of, of what he goes through is, is kind of that. And they say people that go through, you know, different forms of therapy and recovery and, and that kind of thing, too. Basically, what ends up happening, and you said you've, you've brought up prior to this, the five stages of grief, is you kind of have to deal with all of those those parts of your personality, your life, and and the things that stop you from being the best version of yourself. And and once you do, you you kind of have to grieve your past self. You kind of have to let go of who you were to become who you are. And there's there's definitely a lot of that that happens throughout here. And sometimes it has to get really ugly before. Before you can start to see some sunlight. Yeah, I I really agree with with a lot of that, and we do see that in in Phil's journey throughout throughout this movie, because he really does transition from a being a very different Phil in the beginning to what he ends up with at the end. And I, and I also think that a lot of what he is at the end was always there. It's just that he repressed it. Like he pushed it back, pushed it down because it wasn't in his mind, it wasn't accomplishing anything for himself where he was in his life. Absolutely. And, and also too, I mean, it's, it's, it's wonderful as it is and and how how deep you can go with with all of the underlying themes of this too is there's there's a lot of darkness to this movie <laughs> and at the same time we find ourselves laughing our butts off in these like really really almost brutal moments like in this particular scene i don't i don't know anybody else other than bill murray that could play someone who's who's like this dark and and angry and frustrated and and at the same time be hilarious. I don't know anybody else that can do it. He does it in Scrooge, like, wonderfully, too. Even in Ghostbusters, he's kind of an ass. Mm -hmm. And yet, we we still love him, and, and he's, he's wonderful. But here, he definitely goes to some dark, dark places and, and can be quite cruel and, and, and in this case, um, intimidating and scary – and having an outburst that nobody understands but him, and and we still are are laughing in in the scene, even though we're still feeling the the struggle that he's going through. There's just so much going on. It's it's really really impressive, I think. Yeah, it, it is. 
it is worth mentioning to, you know, looking at this scene out of context, it is a very intimidating, like, anxiety-inducing scene when taken by itself. But in the context of the movie, like, based on everything surrounding it and what we've seen and what we know and how it's presented, it is funny. And it, it's it's weird to to really think about that, how how what we're seeing and what we're feeling are basically like two opposite things. And that's what we ultimately find in comedy a lot. We end up laughing at things that are kind of dark. <laughs> it I, I I noticed that a little bit more when we start getting into to British British humor specifically. But there's there's definitely definitely a lot of, of that yin and yang and and somewhere in there there's there's the balance that makes it it great and i think this is why this is probably one of the better comedy films of its time and why it's it's lasted for so long too but there's also so much there for for people to connect with and and i think i think that that it is so palpable and and available to to anyone that we could all put ourselves in in Phil's place. Perhaps we wouldn't we wouldn't go with the whiskey and the popcorn <laughs> or but I think I think we all can kind of at some point see see ourselves reflected in in the struggles that he experiences. And yeah. sometimes a comfortable way of dealing with that too is is through laughter. And and I do think that the the structure of the film in general does also help because you know, with the context of the situation that Phil is in, this kind of reaction is a lot more justifiable, knowing that none of this really has any lasting impact on anybody that's surrounding him. And so that the lack of consequence does make it easier to laugh at. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Most of, I mean... Okay, again, um, spoiler, but we are, I'm certain if you're listening to this, you've watched the film before. When we start getting into the, the deeper things, like when Phil decides to drive the car off the cliff, um, that shouldn't be funny. <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing about that that should be funny, and it's hilarious. And and a huge part of that, I think, is the fantastic point you just made, is that there are no ultimate consequences for for those choices and those things that he does so yes we are definitely on the, the struggle bus with him and and the fact that he is is in pain and this is difficult for him and he can't figure out how to get out of this situation which is also a, you know a good way to describe depression too you don't know how to get out of it you don't know how to navigate it uh the fact that there there are no no consequences for for his ways of trying to cope ends up making that all those, those behaviors somewhat easier to dismiss mm -hmm. and also Bill Murray. <laughs> yes. That makes up for a whole lot. And, and I've heard a lot of stories that this in a way, in a lot of ways, this is Bill Murray as a person like he, in a lot of, um, you know, celebrity, uh, celebrity sighting stories involving Bill Murray. 
you get a lot of that, you know, him as a, as a celebrity is that perfect mix of charming and a jerk yes. at the same time. Yes, that's what I, I feel like he, he probably is like in real life. And for that purpose, I'm not sure that I actually would like to meet him because I I'm, I don't get the whole celebrity overwhelmed thing or nervous or anything. But I feel like I would be too nervous to talk to Bill Murray. My knees would knock together and I would fall over. And, and it would be that exact thing. The Well, he probably would be a little bit of both. A little bit of both, and I don't, I don't know that I could navigate it. Yeah, it's, it's difficult because you know if, I think for a lot of people, you know if if he crosses the the jerk line a little too hard, then that kind of ruins your experience with a, a lot of his work. But uh, you might get lucky and you get the 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 more charming side of things, like uh, moments that I've heard about where he like crashes a a, um, a couple's wedding photo shoot and uh, poses for several pictures with them. <laughs> That's awesome. I would still, I would still definitely sacrifice the knee knocking nervousness to meet Bill Murray. Absolutely. But there would be a lot, a lot of anxiety on my part. And then one other uh, detail that, that I wanted to, to mention in this scene is that he mentions during his podcast, not a podcast, during his broadcast, that they used to pull the hog out and eat it, and that that is actually true. And I think that um, you know, besides just an, an an interesting piece of trivia, I think that does help build Phil's character as a person a little bit because. And I, I think I've mentioned this before, you know, Phil is a an intellectual, like he's a smart guy. He's done, he's been to Punxsutawney several times. And even though he's disinterested in the job at the moment, he does have a lot of knowledge. And he does, like he apparently at one point did study the history of Groundhog Day in order to do uh, good good reports during the previous four years that he was here. Yes, absolutely. And I also think it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful point and observation on Phil, but I think that also, you know, plays into the fact that he is overgoing there. He's done it once. He did all, all the work. He did all the research. He knows all the things that he needs to know. And now at this point, he wants something else to stimulate him, to challenge him. He doesn't want to continue to do this. He's beyond this. He's above this. And you see this with a lot of intellectuals. You see it with a lot of, of geniuses in, in, in film, TV, books, and on all the mediums is how they do struggle in, in normal day-to-day life because, because they need more. They need more from it. And, and they aren't comfortable necessarily with, with anything that involves complacency, which would also explain a lot of Phil's, you know, a- ambition in general, but, but also – like you said, being a kind, good person, the the guy that's underneath everything that we get to see at the end, um, that hasn't necessarily propelled him forward on that that side of his personality and that side of his his mind where he does have these ambitions and goals and things, and and maybe being a little bit more ruthless does. 
But I, I, I think that's a huge part of, you know, the frustration with having to go back there is I've done this song and dance. I don't need to continue doing this. I'm, I'm, I'm better than this. I'm better than these people. And that's, that's how he feels while, when he first arrives before there's a time loop. Yeah, he's, he really did have like a, a superiority concept complex because one of the, you know, he describes whenever Rita's, you know, talking about how nice the, the festival is and about people singing and going to the fire and then coming back and sing, singing again. His response is, yeah, they're hicks. Yeah. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he, he does. He passes that judgment on everyone. He looks at, he looks at what he sees on the surface and, and makes these snap judgments and, and, you know, as time goes on, he gets to know them all. And, and there's, there's obviously some revelations, but that is, that is kind of how he sums everybody up. And it's not pretty. It's not nice. Yeah, and I, I did do just a, a little bit of, of research on, you know, him talking about uh, them eating groundhog and, uh, according to Pennsylvania historian Christopher R. Davis, the the flavor of groundhog meat described by locals was is a cross between pork and chicken. Really? Yeah. That that's interesting. And going back to the 1880s, like in the early days of the, the actual first Groundhog Day festivals, the Punxsutawney Elks Lodge, which later formed the Groundhog Club hosted both the annual day ceremony and a summertime groundhog hunt, followed by a picnic, of uh, which featured a variety of groundhog dishes, as well as a groundhog punch, which was a combination of vodka, milk, eggs, orange juice, and, quote, other ingredients. And I... I did read a, a couple different things. Like reading that, it made it sound like it was something that the people would drink uh, for the the festival. But I also read that that was something that they force fed to um, Punxsutawney Phil. Oh. And then that's that's later. It's evolved into now they refer to that as. The elixir of life, because in in the mythology of Punxsutawney Phil, there has only been one like it's the same Punxsutawney Phil throughout the years for every Groundhog Day, and he drinks this uh, elixir of life, or back then it was Groundhog Punch, and that that would help you know keep him alive for the next seven years. <laughs> Even though you know typically groundhogs only only live to be like I think six or seven years old. Yeah, I didn't think they I didn't think they lived that long. Wow. That's that's very that's very strange and interesting. Groundhog punch. <laughs> <laughs> and they would um like the the groundhog hunt and involved like um you know people with shovels and hoes and they would have and also like the other type, the the digging hose, but also like the rubber, like garden hose type, not a garden hose exactly, but that they they would use the the rubber hose to listen to the ground to to help find the uh, the groundhog whenever it was underground. Well, they're 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 vermin, and you know Bill Murray 
was well equipped to hunt vermin from another film that he was in that people might have heard of. If you haven't, it's called Caddyshack, and and you know that's that's a movie I know a lot of people haven't seen, so you should check that out. Yes, but I they actually are, haven't seen it myself. Really? Yeah. Oh, watch it! It's so delightful. It's it's very inappropriate and dated, but it's still a good time. I love Rodney Dangerfield and Chevy Chase in it, who are not the best humans on the planet, <laughs> but they are indeed funny in this movie, along with Bill Murray. Um, but but groundhogs are actually we we have we have issues with with them uh, and different kinds of vermin that like to burrow underground and destroy all of our our property. But that is that is the way you kind of go at them, and it's not. It's not a lovely, fun thing. It's kind of barbaric, and it's kind of horrible, and I hate it. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Oh, goodness. But the hoses, yeah, they, they, they'll they get them out that way. They, they pretty much – that's what made me go to the Caddyshack scene. There's there's some stuff that involves that kind of stuff. You stay away from explosives. That's all. <laughs> stay away from explosives. Don't blow up your yard trying to get all right. Well, on on that note, that that's the end of my notes. Um, did you have anything else for for today's loop? This is pitiful. People worshiping a rat. <laughs> that's it. That's it. It was great. All right. Well, why don't you go ahead and remind everybody where they can find you online? Uh, right now, you can find the Man of Love Fun podcast slash stream on on the Twitch. We're twitching with all the young kids. Uh, you can just search MILFCAST on there and find us. We stream every Sunday and Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm waiting for myself to to mix those up because I do it all the time. Uh, if you want to follow uh, MILFCAST, I like to post lots of fun stuff on the socials. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Just look up MILFCAST at MILFCAST. We're there. Uh, if you'd like to follow me, I'm on uh, Instagram at HatterTime1981. Uh, mostly just doing yoga, hanging out with my cat, and, and I'm back to running. But, yeah, that's about it. And as always, I am Bubba Wheats from com. You can find me on Twitter at Bubba Wheats, and you can find the show It's Time to Rewind here on Anchor.fm, as well as anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. You can also join our Facebook group, It's Time to Rewind, a time loop group, there on Facebook to join in the conversation, uh, to discuss any of our episodes as well as any other anything time loop related. Uh, I'm happy to help uh, grow that group, and you can share memes and any anything else that you want there. And then, as as far as today, you know, podcasting is cold, it's lonely, and I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. I feel like. I'm a god. Well, what if there is no tomorrow? I'm a god. There wasn't one today. It's going to be cold. It's going to be gray. And it's going to last you for the rest of your life.